the uh, last time we were together, we began to take a look at the grace that's required to face what we're calling marital realities. The grace to face marital realities. One of the sad facts, um, as we witness the deterioration of so many marriages in our You got real nervous, didn't you? It was like, oh no, I knew it was going to happen. All right, grace faced marital relax. One of the sad facts, at least from my observation, as we witness so many uh, marriages that are deteriorating in our society, is the lack of sound information that's being presented to us on the subject of marriage. You know, if you think about it, the, uh, well, in effect, the so called and oftentimes self proclaimed experts tend to contradict one another. And uh, the sad reality of all of that is many times their advice is nothing more than double talk that's designed to confuse rather to, to inform. And I ran across a story that I thought was kind of cute and it illustrates this whole, this whole business of double talk. By the time you're done, you're not really sure what in the world is going on. But there was a uh, railroad clerk who was being pestered by a customer. And this customer was asking him a million questions and the line was getting longer and the people waiting in line were getting impatient. And if you've ever been in the back of one of those lines, you know exactly what was going on. And so this railroad clerk wanted to teach this, this customer a lesson. And so he asked him this question. He said, would you like an upper or a lower berth? And the man in the line said, well, what's the difference? And the clerk said, well, the difference is $10. Said so the lower berth is higher than the upper one. The higher price is for the lower. If you want it lower, you have to go higher. We sell the upper lower than the lower. Most people don't like the lower upper, although it's low on account of being higher. When you occupy an upper, you have to go up to get up to bed, and you have to get down to get up. So what do you want? <laughs> and I like that, you know, because oftentimes I think, you know, that, that's, that's kind of the, the counsel that's, that's being dished out around us as to this, this whole subject of marriage. And uh, fortunately for us, God doesn't speak in double talk. And he's very concise and he's very clear as far as what makes a marriage work, as far as what we need to watch for as far as dangers that lay ahead. And uh, as we go through all this, in essence, what he's saying is, you know what, this is reality. This is what marriage is all about. And that's why you're going to need all the grace that I can give you to make it work. You know, Psalm 127 warns and reminds us that unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who try to build it. You know, that without God, God's involvement, without Him being the center of every relationship, without His grace being poured out for us, it's an impossibility to try to make it work. So, what are some of the realities that will require God's grace? There's four of them. The last time we got together, we saw three of them. And just as a quick reminder, we saw the first one is that marriage requires mutual unselfishness. In 1 Corinthians 7, we see in this passage that God is saying, you know what, as a husband and wife, we need to be givers to one another. We have to get in a, in a mindset and a, and a mentality that we've got to outgive the other person. It's not 50-50, it's 100% of my effort has to be poured into my wife if I'm going to have the kind of marriage that God desires us to have. 
And it's mutual unselfishness, meeting one another's needs. You know, and Jesus gave us the best example. You know, the Bible tells us that Jesus, even God Himself, came to this earth and He came to serve and to give. He didn't come to take, but He came to serve and to give, and that's an example that was laid out for us. You know, it's interesting in James chapter 4, it tells us, it asks the question, you know, what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? And He goes on to answer and says, isn't the source of quarrels and conflicts your own selfish desires? Isn't that really what causes the arguments in marriage, the fact that you want to please yourself and you're not getting your way at the time that you want it? And the source of the arguments and contingents are very simple. It's like we're, we're always scratching and clawing for our territory, for our rights, for our needs to be met, always at the exclusion of the other person. If you've got your Bible, turn with me to Philippians chapter 2 for a second. In Philippians 2, I like the counsel that we're given in this whole area of selfishness. But in, in James chapter 4, where he's talking about the source of quarrels among us, he goes on to say, you know what? But God is opposed to the proud, but he gives a greater grace to those who are humble. And it requires grace to be able to put the other person before you. In Philippians chapter 2, we see Paul saying the same thing. He says in verse 3, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. And do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. And in chapter 5, he says, you know what? And this really takes place with the right attitude. And he goes out and demonstrates that Jesus Christ had that attitude of humility. Saying, do nothing from selfishness or conceitedness, but put the other person before you. And so, you know, just as a simple rule of thumb, if you want to make your marriage work, always put your spouse ahead of you. Always put... Her needs, if you're a man, always put your wife's needs ahead of you. And if you're a woman, always put your husband's needs ahead of your own needs. And give up those rights and meet one another's needs. And, and the marriage requires mutual unselfishness, and that's why we need God's grace to be able to do it. The second thing that we saw is marriage also means a lifelong commitment. Lifelong commitment. You know, it was interesting. I, I ran across a guy not too long ago, and... Um, he was in the process of leaving his wife, and they have two uh, teenage children, a uh, boy and a girl, and uh, he was in the process of leaving her. And I said, are you, I mean, are you really sure this is what you want to do? Have you given it a lot of consideration? Do you realize the price that's going to be paid to do this? And he looked at me, and, I, and his answer was, it was just, it was a gem. It was one that I'm sure that many of you heard. He said, you know what? Have I thought about it? I've been planning this for seven years. Now, it doesn't take a genius to figure out, what do you think their marriage was like for those seven years? He said, I've been planning this for seven years. I'm like, man. Now, what if, and I asked him, I said, what if you would have taken all that same energy and all that same planning and manipulation and all the stuff that went into this, what if you'd have taken that same energy and poured it into your wife and your family? What would it have done to your relationship? And he looked at me like it was the first time anyone had ever said anything like this to him. And this guy was going to marriage counseling. And he just goes, I never thought of that. You know, what's amazing to me is that, you know, God says that marriage is for a lifetime commitment. And that so many of us are running around and we're always looking for that greener grass in the other pasture. I like what one guy told me a long time ago. He said, Chuck, let me just tell you something about that greener grass. And I'm like, yeah. The same cows eat over there, too. Now, ladies, I don't know what that meant, but it did make a point. 
And then if you stop and think about it, you know, the, the bill is going to come due and payable at some point. You know, for that grass to stay green, you're going to have to maintain it. You have to mow it, you have to water it, you have to fertilize it, you're going to have to keep it up, you're going to have to put weed killer on it, you're going to have to do a whole bunch of stuff to make that grass green. And one day the bill is going to come due and payable. And we're always looking for that greener grass, but when it realizes somebody's got to be maintaining it and the upkeep that goes with it. All I suggest is just do the same thing in your own marriage. There's no sense wasting your time somewhere else. And that's what God's saying, it's a lifetime commitment. Number three, he also tells us that, you know what, marriage includes times of trouble. Times of trouble. You know, Jesus warns us in Matthew chapter 6 that each day, don't even be anxious for tomorrow. Don't worry about tomorrow, folks. Because each day has enough trouble of its own. And it's no different in marriage. You're having trouble in marriage. You know, it reminds me of that storm that we had last night. It's like everything's going along nice and smooth. You're just, oh, it's a great evening. Just catching some sleep. And all of a sudden, the thunder and lightning. The thunder rolls in and lightning hits and it starts pouring down rain. And the next thing you know, you've got to ask your wife to get up and shut the window. And, you know, it just, just messes up a real good night of sleep. But, you know, that's kind of the way it is, right? I mean, it's like everything's just going along smooth. And all of a sudden, boom! You know, it's like being on, a, on the rapids in a river. Nice, calm pool. And all of a sudden, you get thrown in the middle of the rapids. And you're going, ah! And you can either hang on and enjoy it, or you can jump out and drown. So I say hang on. And that's what marriage is all about. Marriage includes times of troubles, but God's grace is sufficient in our times of weakness. Now, we get into the fourth reality. And this particular reality, I think in many ways, leads to a lot of the troubles that we have in marriage. Because the Bible tells us that marriage involves distinct roles for husbands and distinct roles for wives. And now here's where we get into all kinds of trouble. If you got your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3 so that God can keep me out of trouble. 1 Peter chapter 3. Let's take a look at these distinct roles because they're critical if our marriages are to survive. We need God's grace to be able to maintain these roles. 1 Peter chapter 3 starting with verse 1. It says, this is now, oh, this is 2 Peter. Well, this is now, I, I picked right up on that. I said, this is now the second letter I've written to you. All righty. All right, in the same way, verse 1, chapter 3, in the same way you wives be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives, as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. And let not your adornment be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and a quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also, who hoped in God, used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. Thus Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and if you have become her children, if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear." <clears throat> You husbands likewise, <clears throat> excuse me, you husbands likewise live with your wives in an understanding way, as with a weaker vessel since she is a woman, and grant her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. You know, we live in a time when domestic roles have become blurred and the home reveals the consequences of that. Many children growing up not knowing the difference 
or the significance of female femininity or male masculinity. We live in a genderless or what we call a gender-neutral society. You know, it's funny because I, I've read recently where even traditional Christian hymns are being rewritten to eliminate offensive masculine pronouns. This past week in my business, I got a letter, and I'll, it was hilarious because I was thinking of this whole subject, and I get a letter, and it was addressed to gentle person. <laughs> and I just went, oh, what? I'm not dear ma'am or sir, not dear madam or sir, or whatever. It was, it was gentle person. And I thought, oh, man, you know what? This is exactly what we're talking about. You know, there are those who would even argue that the, the, the distinct roles for husbands and distinct roles for wives are somehow outdated. And I want you to stop and think with me for a moment because I've heard that argument and I'm sure that you have too. Well, you know, that, that's outdated. You know, this is, this is the 1990s. You know, things are different now than they were when your parents were children and, and on and on the argument goes. And, and in many ways it is different. But the, the question is, you know, what does that mean when it's different? I want, to, I, want you to ask, I want to ask this question. I want you to think with me for a minute. If the Bible is the written word of God, and you believe that, and God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and His word is eternal, which means it's outside of the, the, the relevance of time, but it's yesterday, today, and forever, then how can something that's eternal ever become outdated? Just stop and think for a moment. If the counsel of God is timeless, it can never become outdated by time. And we need to recognize that and understand it because since from the very beginning, God created us male and He created us female. He created us with distinct roles that we're to play in His program here in society. And we need to recognize that. And we need to understand that many of the problems that we have in marriage today is because we do not understand the distinct role of a husband and the distinct role of a wife. And when we begin to understand it, you'll recognize why God's grace is so critical. Because it's going to rub us, many of us, the wrong way. As is so often the case in anything that God requires of us. That's why we need God's grace to be able to do it. That's why we need the Spirit of God living within us to give us the power to do what is right before God. The human natural mind cannot do the things that God is going to ask them to do. If you've ever counseled anyone who's having a problem in their, in their marital relationship and you say, you know what, marriage isn't 50-50, it's 100%. You keep giving, giving, giving. The natural mind says, that's nonsense. I tried that. I don't like that. It doesn't work. What about my needs? And see, the natural mind that hasn't been regenerated by the power of the Spirit of God as we come to know Jesus Christ doesn't understand anything of God. It doesn't make any sense to them. Lifetime commitment, we all change. We've grown apart. Our needs are different. We're not the same people when we first met. We no longer meet our needs anymore. So it's better that we get divorced and we go our separate ways, right? No, God says it's for a lifetime, but it doesn't make sense. No, it doesn't. That you go through times of trouble and that God's grace is sufficient for you in the times of trouble and that you go closer together with one another. That doesn't make sense. I didn't create this problem. My husband created it. I don't have to go through it. Or she created it. Why do I have to go through it? And I just unplugged this, huh? Hey, there you go. Okay. But the bottom line is, as we go through this, we need to understand the distinct role of a wife and a distinct role of a husband. And the first six verses of 1 Peter chapter 3, we'll take a look at the distinct role of a wife. Because we're all gentlemen and we're going to allow the ladies to go first. So that's what we're going to do. Marriage involves, amen, thank you. 
Marriage involves a distinct role for a wife. Now the question is, what is the distinct role for a wife as outlined here in Scripture? Let me just kind of summarize it with this, and then we'll get into it individually. A wife is to model true femininity. And those will be character traits that are precious in the sight of God and impressive in the sight of her husband. You follow that? A wife is to model true femininity. And those will include character traits that are precious in the sight of God and impressive in the sight of her husband. You say, well, you know what? What are they? And from this particular passage, we're going to take a look at just four. There's more for the men. So, you know, you just don't, I just want to tell you right now, ladies, there's going to be more for the guys. So all you've got to do is concentrate on four. And God says that these are the four distinct roles of a wife. Number one, look at verse one. A wife is to recognize her husband's leadership in her home. A wife is to recognize her husband's leadership in her home. We read this, In the same way, you wives be submissive to your own husbands. In the same way as what? Well, what precedes this is the role of submission in society in many different areas. If you have to understand it, you have to go back to 1 Peter chapter 2. For example, in verse 13, we read this, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution. It goes on in verse 18, it says, Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect. Not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. And it has to do with the workplace. So what God is saying, in the same way as all of us are to be submissive to government authorities as established by God, according to Romans chapter 13, that all of us who live in a society where there's government, we're to be submissive to government, to law and order. We're to submit to them for the sake of God and not be rebellious against those things that are not in contradiction to the Word of God. We are to submit to government, to law and authority. It goes on to say, if you work in a business somewhere, that you're to submit to your employer. As long as your employer is not asking you to do anything that is in violation of the standards of God, you are to submit to their authority in your life. So we can understand that from the concept that we understand in society we need to submit to government, to law and order. We understand that if we're going to continue to maintain our place of employment, we need to submit to our employer. And all God is saying is to a wife in a household where there is a husband present, He is saying to you as a wife, listen, in the same way as you submit to authority in society, as the same way you submit to your employer on your place of work if you work, that's the same way that you're to submit to the leadership of your husband in your home. And that shouldn't be that hard to understand. Submission is the ray of hope if we're to restore our human relationships in every area of life. It's important to understand also that the Bible does not teach that all women are to be submissive to all men. It never teaches that anywhere. Or in any way infer that a woman is somehow of any less of value than a man. As we'll see, Jesus Christ died for all of us, male and female. The Bible never insinuates that in any way. And I, you know, and I feel bad that for many, many years that many men who have preached this particular passage have manipulated it for their own purposes and their own benefit and have distorted the Word of God. But if you're going to be a good student of the Bible, you need to understand something. 
The Bible does not say that all women are subservient to all men. That is not true anywhere. And in fact, it contradicts that. We need to recognize that. Every wedding that I do, I like to say the little thing that, that I do as far as how a, a wife is to compliment her husband. That God, is, He didn't take a bone from Adam's head so that the woman would be superior to him. And He didn't take a bone from her foot so that she would be inferior to him. But He took a bone from His side so that He would compliment him and be His helpmeet. He took it from His side so that they would walk side by side together and compliment one another. He took it from under his arm where it was a place of protection that her husband would protect her and also from near his heart where she would be loved as Christ loved the church. You see, that's the picture of marriage that God portrays in the Bible. And we need to recognize the fact that as we look through this particular passage, it says that, that a wife should be submissive to whom? To her own husband. If you question that, go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 for a second and look at verse 3 as, as the creative order is explained to help us to understand the principle here. It says, but I want you to understand, 1 Corinthians 11, 3, but I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man and the man is the head of a woman and God is the head of Christ. It's critical to understand that. He's saying Christ is the head of every man. Every man is to be submissive to Jesus Christ in his life. And it says that, and the man, definite article indicating a specific man, and the man, speaking of a husband, is to be the head of what? A woman, speaking of a wife. And that's important to understand. I mean, so when you look at that, you say, you know what? You're the man. If you're the husband, you are the man. I like that because, well, you know, in sports we like to do that. You know, a kid will come up to play and say, hey, you're the man. You're the man. So if you're married and you turn your husband, you just look at him and say, hey, you're the man. You are the man. And you're the man that God's talking about. But we need to recognize the fact you're also the woman that's being talked about. You're the wife who is to be submissive and to recognize his leadership in your own home. The character trait that every wife should, should incorporate in her life is to be submissive to her own husband's leadership in her own home. You say, but you know what? But he's not much of a leader. Well, we'll deal with that when we get into some of the stuff that guys have to do. Because in many cases, that's true. But we need to recognize something. Your boss may not be much of a boss, huh? But you don't have a problem understanding what it means to be submissive in the workplace, do you? And maybe a judge isn't much of a judge, or a policeman isn't much of a policeman. But you know what? You don't have a problem submitting in those areas of your life, do you? It's just fascinating to me that this is just one of those areas of life that really rubs wives the wrong way. You understand that if you want to stay employed, you'll be submissive to your male boss. Or if you, you know, want to, don't go to jail and you don't want to get tickets, you'll be submissive to male authority in other areas of life. But when it comes time to, you know what, being submissive to your own husband in your own home, well, wait a minute! I got people that I talk to that do, I do marriages today and they say, you know what, leave that whole thing of submission out of, the, uh, out of our vows. Just leave it out. Why? Well, because they don't understand what's being talked about here. They don't understand what the role of a wife is according to what God has to say. And they don't understand the problems that develop when there's not structure and order and leadership. The world is chaotic. If every one of us did what we wanted to do in every area of life, this world would be chaos. And we recognize that. And you know what? Some of our families are chaotic because the wife doesn't recognize the leadership of her husband in her own home. 
And we need to just tell it the way that it is. Because it's the truth that will set us free. We need to recognize that. And you go, well, why? Why should I recognize my husband's leadership? Well, let's go back to 1 Peter chapter 3. There's several reasons to recognize it. Number one is because God tells you to. That's always a good reason. But there are some other practical reasons as well that he outlines here. He says, you know what? In the same way you wives be submissive to your own husbands, so that, listen, so that, there's a purpose statement to it, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives. I like that. You say, well, you know what? What what does that mean? What's the purpose of submitting to his leadership? So that you will win them. Win them? What do you mean, win them? So that you will win them. There's two ideas here. Number one is, let's take a woman who is a Christian, who's come to know Christ, who's given her life to Jesus Christ, and her husband has not at that point in their relationship. Let's say that you take two people that were not believers when they got married, somewhere along the course of the line, one becomes a Christian and the other still has not. Now the the struggle is, well, what do we do? Well, 1 Corinthians 7 says if your non-believing spouse wants to continue to live with you, then you keep on living together because marriage is a lifetime commitment. And you do all the things that you can do, what? To win him to the Lord. And so what he's saying is that, you know what? When you are submissive, submissive to his leadership, when you recognize his leadership in your home, there's something attractive about that. To a non-believing husband, he begins to recognize there's something different in your life. You're not like how you used to be. There's something that's changed in your life. You're not trying to boss him around. You're not trying to take control. You're not trying to take his position away from him. You recognize he's the leader in your home. And you honor that and you respect that. And he says you may win him. Without even saying a word to him. You never even have to say a single word. You just demonstrate it by how you live. The second idea is, well, what about those of you who have uh, husbands who are Christians, but are not living a way that's pleasing to God? You follow what he's saying? He says that, you know what, even if they are disobedient to what? To the Word, specifically the Word of God. To those of us who are husbands who are not walking with God, we're living in disobedience, and you are a godly woman who's living in the same house, you're the wife, your role is to, hey, you know what, submit to and recognize his leadership because you're going to win him over to God's ways again. That's what he's talking about. But you know what, it takes selflessness to do it. And it takes God's grace to be able to recognize a leader that you really don't want to follow at a particular point in life. And we need to understand that. That you may win him. Now the question is, you go, how is this going to happen? Well, I'm glad you asked. You know what? It happens by you as a wife restraining from certain activities. You refrain from certain activities. Now the question is, what are those activities? Look in verse 2 for a second. It says that you can win your husband by the behavior. It's your behavior. It's not what you say. It's what you do. It's how you live. He goes on and says, as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. It involves personal discipline, and that always requires God's grace. It involves conduct that will require the grace of God to carry out. If you've got your Bibles in front of you, turn back to Titus for a second, chapter 2. Titus 2 lays out three of the character traits. Titus 2, look at verses 3 through 5. It says, Older, older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, that they may encourage what? The young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to, here we go again, to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be dishonored. 
The Bible says, as we observe, as a husband observes the chaste and respectful behavior of his wife. He says that there's three of them. That a woman is to be sensible, to be in control of her emotions, to have self-control in those areas of her life. And ladies, that definitely requires grace now, doesn't it? To be in control of your emotions. In the second area, he says, to be pure. To be pure, physically pure of speech and of dress. If you've got your Bible sometime this week and you want to do some homework, look at the the picture of an immoral woman as portrayed throughout the book of Proverbs. Chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. Chapter 5, verse 3. Chapter 6, the whole chapter. Chapter 7, verse 5, 10, 15, 9 and 13. It talks about a woman whose lips drip with honey. They're filled with flatter for other men talks about the kind of speech that you have when you're talking to other men. As you ask yourself the question, you know what, what's my role as a wife? Your role as a wife is to model these character traits that God wants to be a part of your life. To, to, uh, to be sensible emotionally. To be pure physically. Not to be a flirt or to flatter other men with your lips. Not to be provocative in how you dress and the things that you wear. You know, it's amazing. I stop and think about it. I mean, stuff like, well, you know, just... Just think about it, some of the things. You know, I, I, see, I see women sometimes and you think, you know what, this woman can't be married because it's obvious she's still shopping for a guy until I see a wedding ring on her hand. And then you've got to ask yourself the question, what, what, what do you, I mean, who are you trying to impress? See, because your husband already knows whether you need a wonder bra or not. You know what I'm saying? You know? And it's like, who, who, you know, who are we trying to impress? And, uh, and we need to understand what God's trying to say. He's saying, look, as a woman, you need to be chaste in your behavior. You need to be sensible in how you talk to other men. You need to be sensible in how you dress and present yourself. And it's important to recognize you need to refrain from certain activities that are not pleasing to God. And as you go through this, you begin to understand, you know what? Like to have dove's eyes or eyes of purity, that, that your loyalty is to your mate for life. As a wife, your role is to make sure that your husband understands that your shopping days for men are over. That you've got the man that you want for the rest of your life. That he's everything that he could ever be that you'd ever need in your life. And to make him feel that way and to understand that. And it takes grace to refrain and restrain yourself from certain types of behavior that are so promoted in our culture today. We need to recognize that and that you're to be kind to be sensible, to be pure, and to be kind. That's what God requires of a wife. Back to 1 Peter chapter 3 again. He also tells you that, you know what? You're to respect your husband. You're to respect your husband. You know, one, sometimes it's the hardest thing in the world to do is to respect him. But you've got to ask yourself the question. And I'll ask you, because I'll make it a little more personal. If you're married, do you respect your husband. The easiest thing in the world is to say yes. But I'll tell you what, God also asks some tough questions when he says, oh, you do? Well, see, because if you do, it says that as they observe your chaste and what? Respectful behavior. What's part of demonstrating the fact that you respect your husband? Well, to make it personal, if my wife respects me, then she'll be very careful in how she talks to other men. She'll be very careful in how she presents herself in what she wears outside of our home. If she really respects me as she says that she does, then those areas won't be problems in her life. If we respect those who are in a position of leadership 
in our life. In 1 Timothy 2, we're told that we pray for them. Listen, lady, if you're married, do you respect your husband? Are you careful about how you speak to other men? Are you careful about how you dress and how you present yourself in the public in front of other men? Ask me another question. Do you pray for your husband on a regular basis? Do you pray for his leadership in your home? And do you pray for you that you can respect him? God, give me your grace so I can respect this guy. You know, sometimes that's what it takes. You know, sometimes that's where you've got to start. All right, Lord, I want to do what you tell me to do, but the first thing I need is just dump a big old 50-gallon of drum of grace on my head right now, and uh, we'll get moving from there. In Proverbs 12, verse 4, listen to this. If you respect your husband, you do not embarrass him. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who shames him is as rottenness in his bones. Man, we were at a uh, kind of a combination going away birthday party for a friend of ours who had just signed with another team and he was leaving to go to training camp, right? And I thought about this because there was a, there was a couple that came and I, we, didn't, we didn't know them before we got there and they were there. And his wife was everything that a wife isn't supposed to be according to the word of God. She was loud. She was obnoxious. She dressed like she was for sale. And the sad reality of all of it was, was you know what her husband did? He just walked over, sat on the couch, the rest of the night, and every time somebody offered him a drink, he just drank some more, and drank some more, and drank some more. This guy was wasted by the end of the night. But I thought, you know what? Isn't that sad? And she was loud and obnoxious and all over everybody and all over the place. And I thought, you know what? Isn't that the problem here? I wonder why he's sitting over there getting drunk. I just go straight to hit myself with a sledgehammer. <laughs> I mean, but I thought, man, but see, that's the problem here. That's the problem. She had no respect for her husband. She was an embarrassment to him. Because everyone said, who is she married to? And everyone pointed over to him. That loser sitting over there on a couch getting hammered. I was like, oh, I understand. See, that's kind of the way that it is. She's an embarrassment. I like the story that I heard that this couple was in a, a secluded area of a country club and they were having dinner. And the wife was just ripping this guy apart. She said, you're a lousy skunk of all the low-down snakes. I think you're the worst. And he looked around and people were listening. They were friends of his and they knew who they were. And he looked at her and he said, well, honey, that's great. And what else did you say to him after that? <laughs> it's like, man, you know, you've ever been out in public and you embarrassed your husband? That's, that's, that's wrong. That's just flat out wrong. You need to respect him. See, and that's why it requires grace. You say, but I can't respect him. He's not doing the right things. He's, he's not even a believer. He, he's not a spiritual leader. He, he's useless. Man, he drinks too much. He does this too much. He's a slob. I can't respect him. Well, you know what, though? We'll deal with him. You've got to deal with you. And God says, you've got to respect his leadership in your home. You've got to recognize it's true. And you've got to refrain from certain activities that are an embarrassment to him. Pray for him. Watch how you speak to other men and watch the things that you wear and the things that you do. And, the, and, and let me ask you a question. How do most wives try to change their husbands? Anybody? Oh, no, no guy in the world is going to answer that question, right? <laughs> Ain't no way. I see how big that hole is I'm about ready to step into. Well, I've seen other wives try to change their husbands by what? Nagging him to death. And that's number four. Resist the temptation to be contentious. 
to be a nag, to be whatever you want to call it. But you know what I'm talking about. The, 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 the attempt by most women to change their husband is to nag him to death. Now understand what God's saying. Go back to 1 Peter 3. We'll wrap everything together on this. But look what he says. He says, you know what? Let your adornment not be merely external. Braiding hair, wearing gold jewelry, or putting on dresses. So he's saying, that, hey, you know what? Just don't let it be, you know, how you clean up on the outside. Nothing wrong with braiding your hair. Nothing wrong with wearing gold jewelry. I wish I could distort this to make it say that, you know, gold jewelry was just an abomination before God, but I can't do that. <laughs> eh, well, let's see. Let's turn it this way. Nah, it's still doesn't work. It says, you know, and, uh, and putting on dresses. Nothing wrong with any of those things. Hey, you need to clean up. In fact, you know what? Let me also tell you something, too. If you're going to show respect for your husband, care about how you look. I mean, don't go to the extreme of being provocative and look cheap, but clean up a little bit. It's all right. You know, it's... What? That's a nice... What? what do you want me to say? I mean, I mean, you know what I'm saying. I mean, you know, take, take a little bit of time. And you know what's amazing to me? And guys, don't rush her. Right? I know, seriously, think about it. We're always in a big hurry. Can you hurry up? You know, it's like, let me tell you... Let her take her time. You'll be a lot happier if she does. You know, and if you need to do that, then do that. You know, take care of yourself. Care about what you look like. You know why? Because whether you realize it or not, you're a reflection of your marriage. You're a reflection of your husband. Now, when my wife goes out in public and she looks good and people look at her and say, gosh, you're a really attractive woman. You can't be that old. You look half that age. I walk around going, that's right, she's my wife. She's my wife. And then she's looking at me like, going, man, would you clean yourself up? You know, she got that. But, but it's like, but that's what, she's a reflection of us together. I mean, you're a reflection of your husband. Don't let it, but, but wait a minute now. Don't worry so much about the outside that you forget about the inside. See, that's what he's saying. But let, the, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and a quiet spirit. And it's precious in the sight of God. A gentle and a quiet spirit. Not a silent wife. I don't want a wife who's silent. I know guys who date women that they ask them, please don't say anything. You look so good. As soon as you open your mouth, you mess it all up. But it's like, you know, hey, you don't want to marry someone like that. You want to marry someone that can actually go out in public and speak to other people. It's important. And so he's saying, look, don't let it be just what you look like, but worry about your character too. Can you imagine, wife, if you spend as much time on developing your character as you do on getting dressed to go to church on Sunday? or anywhere else that you're going where you care about what you look, man, wouldn't that be a wonderful thing to develop that kind of character? You know, he's saying, hey, that's what he's talking about. A gentle and a quiet spirit is a quality that endures the test of time. Let's face it, we're all starting to get run down. You know, the older we look, we're not as good looking as we used to be. I like one story. This lady was working the cosmetic counter, and this gal came running in, and she was late. A customer, she ran up to the lady and said, hey, do do you still have Elizabeth Taylor's passion? And she was all frazzled, and she just looked at her and said, If I did, do you think I'd be working here? <laughs> so sometimes, you know, those things kind of wear out. But that's all right. We need to understand something here. Ladies, you know, even Elizabeth Taylor doesn't have the same passion that she used to have. And what God's saying, it's the inner person, the inner spirit, a quiet spirit, not a loud, obnoxious, naggy type of person. It's the opposite of being contentious. Look, at, look in Proverbs and look at a contentious woman. The Bible says it's better to live in the desert than in a mansion with a contentious woman. 
My favorite one isn't, God, this is hilarious. I was in an attic one time, being in an air conditioning business, sometimes you have to find yourself in weird places. And I was up in the attic and I was trying to get across to find where the electrical panel went down the wall. And, and I'm up there, it was probably 140 degrees in the attic, and I'm crawling across there and you're getting nails smacking you and you're going across all this stuff and you're careful not to fall through people's ceiling because they don't like that. Usually, and usually don't have that figured in the price. And so you're going through and, and you get there, you know, and I'm stuck in this corner and my partner Dave was down below and he was yelling. I couldn't hear him. I'm putting my face down against the insulation trying to hear what he's saying and this verse came back to my it came back to me it says you know what it's better to live in the corner of an attic than in a house in a mansion with a contentious woman and i just started cracking up laughing you know it may have been heat exhaustion it may have been a whole bunch of stuff but i just thought it's hilarious because you know if you've ever been in a house when your wife was like that you'd go up in the attic in a minute if you can figure out some way to get out of there and you just lay up there. You know, I lay up there all day long. I'm by myself. I don't care. Hi, near. This is great. I love it. You know, and, and so that's what, hey, listen. I like this old saying, a smoking stove and a scolding wife soon drive a man out of doors. <laughs> don't nag your husband. Now, let me just bring up something, a little personal matter here. I got a fax this past week from some of the women in this particular group of people trying to get my attention on something I must have said that offended someone last week. I don't know what that could have been. But I think the fact speaks for itself. Dear Mr. Obramski, may your ankles be permanently swollen. <laughs> All right. Signed, 30 angry, bloated women. All right. All right. Well, you know what it is. Okay. Listen, don't nag your husband, okay? Hey, it... Don't nag him to try to change him. I'll tell you what, right now, husbands, give me an amen on this, but won't we just tune him out? Amen? I mean, you nagging your... I mean, hey, let, let me ask something, lady. You ever nagging your husband, and you're looking at him, and you're just going off, and he's like, like in a zone that you can't even recognize where he is. It's like, I, you can see the lips going... And you're just kind of like this guy just sitting there going... And you, you kind of you get that peripheral working for you, and when the lips stop, you go, oh, man. And then it goes, no, 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 no. We'll tune you out. We will tune you out. Bank on it, right? Now, let me say, your, your wife, did you ever see that look on your husband's face? And then it's usually followed by, and you never listen to me. Man, don't nag him. They're not going to listen to you. We are not going to listen to you, and we will not change. If your husband's not a Christian, don't nag him. You better you accept Jesus, you're going to hell. You know, look at, look at what he's done in my life. Hey, now, that's attractive. Hey, I, you know, and he's thinking, all right, you're going to heaven, I'm going to hell. That's better than living in a mansion with a contagious woman. Oh, my goodness gracious. Don't nag him. If he's not a believer, don't nag him. If he's not a believer, respect him. Refrain from certain activities. And recognize his leadership. And stop being a nag. And when he sees that inner quiet spirit, that non-contentious woman, he's like attracted to that. We're all attracted to that. And he goes on, he says, For in this way, look at it, former times, holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves. They were submissive to their own husbands. And thus Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. 
Now, that's taking it too far. I am not calling him master. That's all I'm telling you right now. I like one guy. One guy's talking to his buddy. He says, my wife treats me like an idol. He says, she does? Why do you say that? He said, because she feeds me burnt offerings at mealtime. All right. But anyway, he says, Abraham, Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, recognizing his leadership in their home, and you've become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. Wow, man, that's good stuff. If you're a wife, that's your role. And do you see why it requires God's grace? Because it's not easy, is it? Well, we got like five minutes. We can go over all the guy stuff, huh? What do you say? Well, yeah, well, you know, because we're all quick learners. We just need five minutes. Just go through those six points. Yeah, let's just rush right through it. What do you say? Ah, we better not. All right. Oh, equal time, equal time. So those are four, four traits. Ladies, let me ask you something. You know what? Your husband, your husband doesn't stand a chance to continue going the wrong direction if you fulfill your distinct role as a wife. And if you model character traits that are precious in God to God, they're going to be impressive to your husband. And you know what's wonderful about it is? Your husband doesn't have a chance. If he doesn't know the Lord, he doesn't have a chance because God's going to get him. If he's being disobedient to the Word of God and you do what you're required to do as his wife, then God's going to get him. And he's going to use you and you'll be a partner to bringing him around. That's a spiritual mugging. You're going to be part of a spiritual mugging. You know, and you're going to do it in a way that's precious in the sight of God and impressive in the sight of your husband. That's what the role of a wife is. Don't let anybody in a society that we live in today tell you any differently. That is the truth from the Word of God. And man, I know you're dying to know, what's my responsibility? This isn't fair that she has to do all these things this week, and I don't have anything to do but enjoy it. <laughs> well, then come back next time. Oh, and ladies, you might want to make sure you get in here. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time to be together. We just thank you for your word. God, we just thank you more importantly than that. We thank you for your grace that you say is sufficient for our weaknesses. Because in our weaknesses, your power will be perfected. God, we just thank you for our wives. We thank you for the role that they have in our relationship. And we just pray that as husbands that we can do everything in our power possible to make that role easier for them to be obedient to you. And we just thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen.